Next week, I'm going to begin a new message series. This Today, what we're going to do is like really important, but it's what I call sort of a standalone talk. It's not a series. It's, it's a message that I think is so important, and I'm so majorly passionate about what I'm going to talk to you about today. So starting next, uh, next week, I'm going to talk to you about miracles. See, it's not uncommon that you and I are going to face things in our life going to, that are going to seem like impossible situations. Like, I, I don't even know if there's going to be an answer. I don't even know what the outcome of this. Maybe little hope or no hope. Maybe you've been hanging on to something like that for quite some time. And next week, I'm going to start, and it will go for three weeks. And the very first week, I'm going to talk about the miracle of deliverance. And some of you are like, ooh, that's going to be really, really creepy. That's going to be really, really weird, you know, talking about miracles, deliverance. I promise it won't be creepy or weird, but it will be something that you need to hear, and it's going to be incredibly helpful to you because throughout the Bible, God does bring to pass miracles of deliverance, and it's not always the way you see in Hollywood. But it's, uh, it's some things that, uh, that God is able to do, and I believe God's going to use that. The week after the miracle of protection, I do believe that God is watching over us. I believe that God protects us. How many of you have ever looked back at a time in your life, and you just know right in that moment, there's no other explanation God was protecting me in that moment? That has been an experience for a lot of us, and we're going to talk about that. Then the final week, the miracle of healing, that we believe, I believe, you believe, that Jesus is still healing people today and at the end of that service that will be three weeks from today we're going to pray for people that need healing in their bodies now this morning I want to navigate through some very crucial and urgent instruction from for some Jesus followers and they lived in a place called at that time what was uh, what was Colossae a place called Colossae now, this is just a technicality, but uh, Colossae, although it wasn't like a major sprawling metropolitan kind of area, Colossae was, however, located, uh, it was the most important trade route, Colossae was, between Ephesus uh, to the Euphrates. And so it was in a very strategic place. By the way, uh, there's a guy in the New Testament, he has his own book, if you haven't read it, his name's Philemon. Uh, a lot of scholars believe that Philemon actually belonged to the church at Colossae. In fact, there are many, many theologians that say that it is a high probability that the lead pastor at the church of Colossae was actually the son of Philemon. And so it's very important church. It's very important uh, to the heart and life of Paul. And he is about to infuse some instruction into their life that is going to be helpful for us. Although it comes hundreds of years later, it's just as much for us, just as relevant for us today as it was the very first time that Paul wrote it. But before we get to it, what we're going to look at today and the challenge that I believe that God has for us all, I want to tell you uh, about my high school friend, Gary. And, and I don't want to take a lot of time here. I could take more time than what I'm going to take, but I want to keep it moving. But uh, when I was in high school, we had just moved back to Atlanta. A lot of you know that my parents had gone through a divorce when uh, I was 15, moved back to Atlanta. We were living in, in South Georgia at the time, and that was sort of a transition for us. Uh, as well. But we moved back. Mom, uh, the three kids, we go back to Atlanta. And so um, my freshman year of high school, uh, I won't belabor, you know, the negativity of it, but I just 
to say the least, uh, got sort of mixed in with a very rough set of friends. And I'm just liking the throes of everything that they're doing. I know it's not the way that I was raised. I know deep down fundamentally, it wasn't even what I wanted to do. And so after my freshman year of high school, I graduated, not from high school, but from that set of friends to let's call them a moderately unruly subgroup of friends. And they weren't like the friends that I had, um, but they, uh, you know, they were not nearly as rowdy. They were not nearly, they weren't in trouble. I didn't always live with a knot in my stomach, wondering if we were going to get caught doing whatever it was next that we were going to do that was going to cause us to get caught. And I didn't like living that way. But this group, they were not nearly as rowdy, um, but they were far from God. All of them were, were pretty far from God, including my friend Gary. So again, fast tracking with the story, uh, Gary and I developed a really, really uh, solid friendship. And around that time, not too long after I met Gary, been hanging around with Gary. And again, he's not as rowdy and wild as my former friends, but still far from God. It was around this time that uh, I made a commitment, uh, seated in a church service, to give my life to Christ. And I'm telling you that there, it, it was transformation for me. The things that I was doing that I didn't really like doing, but I was doing them anyhow because there's a pressure to do those things. It's like, you know what? I'm so tired of that way of living. I don't want to live that way. I know the way I ought to live, and this is the way I ought to live. And so, you know, I, I didn't like immediately pull back from my friends. I didn't like, hey, you know, I'm super Christian now, and I can't hang out with you guys anymore. And so I didn't do that. And so I maintained my friendship, and really, I can can remember, although it's many years ago, the very place that we were at when I went totally public with Gary about my commitment to Christ and really challenged him to consider doing the same thing. Gary, you've got you've to give your life to Christ. Man, the other, and I explained it to him, and, you know, my life has changed. My life has transformed. I have no regrets, you know, and, and you can pray. You can invite Christ into your life. And, and he wasn't, like, overly resistant to that, but he wasn't, you know, quite ready, didn't, like, open his heart in, in that moment. And so, you know, we stayed in contact, but it wasn't too terribly long after that we moved. I sort of lost touch because I lived somewhere else, still in the same city, but lived somewhere else and sort of lost by relocation, you know, hanging out with Gary and Mike, some of the other guys I used to hang out with. And I can remember it was some good time after that, that uh, I went back and I just thought, Hey, I'm going, uh, you know, I'm going to go back uh, to the same old neighborhood. I'm going to look up some of my old friends and sort of, I just didn't call uh, I had a time. I just thought I'll drop by if they're there, you know, fine. If they're not, I'll say hi to their parents. And so I went to like Matt's house and I went to Mike's house and then I went to Gary's house last and uh, last and knocked on the door. And when I knocked on the door, his brother opened the door and said, hey, man, I know I didn't call ahead of time, but um, I just wondering if Gary's home. And, you know, his mom was in the background and uh, boy, uh, you know, his brother, his older brother began to pour out. Uh, just a tragic accident that Gary was in that he did not survive. And I was like, oh, and, you know, I didn't ask a lot of questions. It wasn't appropriate to do so. I didn't, you know, certainly I didn't ask, hey, did he know uh, Jesus? His mom just looked like she was still in mourning at, at, that, uh, at that point, and we, we can all understand why. And I just walked away and thinking, I can't, I can't believe that. Now, to this very day, I can't tell you whether or not Gary committed his life to Christ. I hope he did. I hope he did. But I didn't ask his brother and I didn't ask his mom. But I walked away wondering, 
you know, I remembered like instinctively that conversation that Gary and I had that night. Gary, I've committed my life to Christ. Man, you've got to do this. You got You'll have no regret. I have no regret. Gary, you need to do this. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Gary did with that. I don't. I know what I hope, but I'm just not sure. Today, I want us to look at the words of Paul the Apostle. Again, he's writing to some followers of Jesus in Colossae. And I want to talk to you for the next few moments in this standalone talk about open doors. Every one of you have people in your life that are far from God. Every one of you have friends that are not connected to Jesus. You have people that you work with that are, are not committed to Christ. You have people that you know in your sphere of influence, you have people that you know that they are not ready for heaven. And if they were to die, to die today or if Jesus were, were to come back today, there's no way, no hope, no chance, you know, because they're living their life apart from Christ. And so I want to talk to you. I want to give you sort of a theological background. And then I want to talk to you very practically about how do you reach these kinds of people. And I'm challenged and I'm talking to myself today. And you'll see this in a few moments. I'm a little frustrated with myself because I think over time in this whole deal of looking for open doors, I think I've cooled off a little bit on that and I don't like it. And I'm bound determined to do something about it. And maybe you feel quite the same way. So maybe this is a message that's for you and for me. Let's look at what Paul said. This is, again, writing Colossians chapter 4. He said, devote yourselves to prayer. And we've been doing that around here lately in the prayer and fasting time. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too. Paul said, hey, while you're praying, go ahead and throw in some prayers for us. Pray for us too. That God may, look at these three words, that God may open a door. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few moments. Open doors. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim. This is really important, these next four words, the mystery of Christ. And you read that sometimes you think, well, I don't even know what the mystery of Christ is. I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. That we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, pray that I may proclaim it, you know, the mystery of Christ, as I should. Now, Paul, right out of the gate, urges believers to pray. He said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray earnestly. I want you to pray sincerely. I want you to pray that God's going to provide some open doors. Pray that God will give us some open doors, some opportunities. Listen now, this is so important. Opportunities to share with non-believers what he refers to as the mystery of Christ. And I don't want to get bogged down in this portion, but I do. Because next time you read it and you're wondering, well, what is the mystery of Christ? I'm going to tell you what the mystery of Christ was in this context. In this context, the mystery of Christ simply revolved around this idea twofold, really. It was to reveal God's purpose and plan to reconcile, reconcile the world to God through Jesus. God's plan, the mystery of Christ, that here's what God wants to do. God wants to reconcile the world to himself, and he's going to use Jesus to accomplish this. But the second part of this two-pronged idea of the mystery of Christ is secondly, that Gentiles might be welcomed into God's family. And this was a really, really, really big deal because for the longest time, without getting into that, maybe in the future we'll chase it out a little bit, Gentiles weren't really like welcomed into the family of God, into the family of Jesus. And if, if they were 
were, it was like a lot of Judaizers would say, okay, in order for you to become a Christian, you're going to have to do this. In other words, what they were saying, it's not just Jesus, but you're going to have to follow these laws and rules and regulations on Judaism. And so it's not just Jesus, but it's Jesus plus this and plus this and plus this. And if you're really going to become a Christian, then you've got to do that. And Paul, by the way, this guy who writes, this great church leader who writes this letter to Colossae, man, he took him to task on that. And he's like, no, you can't put on them all, you know, you can't put the law of Moses and you can't put all this, all your dietary regulations, your Sabbath and your holy day. No, 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 that's not. And so there was a whole big council that convened at Jerusalem and Jesus, his half brother was a part of that. And he's got some instructions, fascinating story. Maybe we'll get to it later on, but it's like Paul is saying, no, no, here's what God wants to do. God wants to reconcile. And this is part of the mystery of Christ. He wants to reveal God's purpose and plans to reconcile the world to Jesus, but it also includes welcoming Gentiles. Just, you know, welcoming the Gentiles with all their baggage and everything, not putting all these rules and regulations upon them. All right, so enough said about that, but I want you to look now at the A part of verse 5. Look at this, this portion. And then Paul says, all right, we're looking for these open doors. Pray for open doors for you and for us. And then Paul says, I'm going to give you some really important instruction. Look at these two words, be wise. Be wise. And and that's a good word for all of us because we're not always smart in the way that we relate to unbelievers. Is that correct? It's not always smart the way that we interact and exchange with them. Be wise, Paul says, in the way you act toward those who are not believers. Be wise. Be wise. Paul challenged these first century Christ followers to exercise great wisdom in how they related to their neighbors and friends and family members who are far from God. In fact, when you read the text carefully, this is unique, and a lot of times we miss this, what Paul wanted them to do is he actually wanted them to combine two things. He wanted them to combine deliberate wisdom. Remember what he says? You see it on the screen. Be wise in the way you act toward those who are not believers. He wanted them to be wise, but to combine that with like a sense of reckless urgency. And you may say, well, that seems like an oxymoron, that those things can't go together, but they actually can. Can I like have reckless urgency in trying to reach my friends and family members and coworkers for Christ and use wisdom at the same time? Absolutely you can, but be wise, he said, and have this sense of urgency about doing it. Tonight at the North Campus, I'm going to speak about the rapture and what that means for people who are in Christ and those who are not yet in Christ. And the reality is we don't know when the rapture is going to take place. The Bible says only God knows. And I'll talk about it tonight. I was convinced for the longest time my mamaw know, knew, no matter what anybody was saying, it's like God knows and mamaw knows, but nobody else knows. And I don't know how mamaw knows, but mamaw knows when the rapture is going to happen. Nobody else, but the rapture is going to take place. And so it's this sense of urgency, not knowing if anybody's going to get it you know, an opportunity. Talking to a real good friend of mine, real, real good friend. We've been friends for a long time. Lost two uncles this week, right after another. One, lost one uncle one day, uh, another uncle the next day. And we just don't know. And so Paul's saying, hey, you know, have this sense of wisdom in the way you relate to people that are far from God, but ratchet up the urgency. A lot of you know that I prayed for my dad for a long, long time. I've been very open about that prayed for him years and years and years. And maybe it's the way it is with some of you and your family members and friends. It's like, God, I'm just tired of praying for him. 
I'm just tired. It just seems like there's no momentum, spiritually speaking, going forward. And it seems like, you know, I, I pray up and I share my faith and I talk to, you know, in this case, dad and, you know, talk to him. And I know that he knows and it's in his head, but it's not in his heart. And, and I would just like, God, why do I keep on praying year after year, year after year, year after year, keep on praying? I can remember one time as a teenager, one night, I remember this sort of like sharing my faith with Gary. Remember real distinctly how that I made him a very, very, very late night call. And it was just like a burden for his wayward soul escalated to the point where I'm just like, I've, I've got to call him. I've just got to call him right now. I'm going to call him right now. And it was, you know, it was a good conversation. Dad didn't really turn the corner. He didn't really step over the line of faith at that moment and give his life to Christ. But I think God used that conversation. And I'm glad to say, especially now that my dad passed away a couple of years ago, that, that dad did make a commitment to Christ. And he knew he was right with God. And uh, I know that he's in heaven. And, but, you know, there were times where I'm just like, wow, I just, you know, I keep on praying and I don't, I don't see any progress. But we stay after it because we never know when something's going to break in their life. And listen, friends, listen, this is really important. Resist the tendency to bury your faith. Resist the tendency to push your faith underground. It's like, okay, you know, I'm at church on Sunday and love being at church, and I'm there and I worship and I listen to the messages. And, you know, maybe you're involved in ministry, connected to a small group, but sometimes if we're not careful, it's like, all right, we've disconnected. Today's Monday, go back to work. Today's Monday, go back to school. A family event coming up. We've got, a, got something going on. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, be like real. I'm going to bury my faith. Don't bury your faith. Resist the temptation to do that because it's the daily mix of your faith and your life that makes a huge difference. Now, this is still Colossians. It's still verse 5, but it's now the B part, the second part of the verse. And look at what Paul says here. He says, making what? Making good use, making good use of every opportunity that you have making good use of every opportunity that you have. It's like Paul is saying, hey, pray for open doors. Pray for open doors for me. I want to reveal the mystery of Christ. He had a passion like, un, uh, like most did. And in fact, when you look at Paul, the way he started out, you know, it's Damascus Road experience. Some of you have read about that. And you look at the apostle Peter, who was like brash and outspoken, always had his foot in his mouth. And it's like, they had some conflicts. Like, why would the Bible even let us know that Paul and Peter, these great early leaders had conflict? And they did. They had conflict, uh, you know, at a certain point in time, got over it, obviously, but they had conflict conflict because their whole idea about Gentiles coming to Christ and, you know, how you related to Gentiles, they weren't on the same page. And it led to some very sharp discussions between the two. And so, uh, you know, Paul is saying, pray for open doors. I want to be able to share my faith with Gentiles. And you look, and he's saying this to these believers in Colossae, and you look for open doors for you. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, I've been thinking a whole lot about this recently because I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed that, that I've cooled off on this a little bit. And I wonder, and I can't layer this on you, but I wonder if you've cooled off on this as well. I mean, when you think about it, and take just a moment even now and think about people in and around your life, people that are not even distant right now, but people that are in, in and around your life that you know are far from God, people in your own family, 
friends that you have, people that sit near you at work or you relate to at work, people right next door, across the street, people you built some relationships. Think about those people and just sort of do as I'm doing these days and evaluate what is the level of your urgency. And maybe you'd find that I've found, regrettably and ashamedly, I don't know that it has the same kind of intensity that it did. And I don't like that. I don't like it at all. And I know that God has a different plan for all of us in that regard to just ratchet that up, to start looking for these opportunities, this sort of reckless urgency, but using great wisdom. And I thought back while I was working on this talk to, I hadn't been a Christian too long at, at all. And there was an older guy, he was much older than I, probably by 30 years or so, but we worked together. And uh, this guy just had a life that was a total mess, total mess. And I had such a burden for this guy. And and uh, I can remember just sharing my faith and like, I'm wanting you to go to church. Hey, come to church with me, invited to me. Didn't want to come, he didn't want to come. But then, you know, I, there was a special occasion, a special day that was coming up. And I thought maybe, uh, you know, maybe this have a little bit of appeal for him. And so I invited him to come. And, and uh, so when I invited him on this particular occasion, it sort of perked up a little bit. I could tell, all right, he's at least open to coming to church with me. And I knew that it was going to be in a, a service that was going to be evangelistically oriented. And so I said to him, I said, I want you to come to church with me. And this is a guy that alcoholism had crippled his life for a long, long time. And that was heavy because, you know, in remnants of my own extended family, there's been alcoholism. And I see even to this day how that it's just been so ruinous to so many of my family's life. And so for this guy, his name was Ben. And I'm like, man, I just, I just, if Ben could come, if Ben would give his life to Christ, he'd have a power greater than just Ben trying to break, you know, sort of this uh, addiction of alcohol in his life. And so I can remember getting him on the phone, and it was so bad. Again, it was, you know, my, my evangelistic temperature was like way up here, and, and that's where I wanted to get back to, just like when I first became a Christian. And, and uh, I can remember calling him, and the call went sort of like this, Ben, you remember that event that I talked to you about, and I'd love for you to go to church. And he says, hey, Jeff, I think I'll go. I think I'll go. And then because knowing the nature of, uh, you know, Ben, I said, Ben, because he pretty much was drunk every day of his life. And I said, Ben, I said, uh, I said, listen, um, not trying to prejudge or anything like that, but, uh, you know, I really, when I pick you up, because he didn't have a driver's license, he couldn't drive, his only way to get to church was me. So I said, hey, I'm going to pick you up, and uh, then we'll go. But Ben, I'm just, Ben, I'm just, you know, I love you, you, you know, I'm, I'm your friend, but being drunk and going to church at the same time, that's like not a good idea. And like, so Ben... Can you give me your word? You, you won't be drunk when I pick you up. And uh, no, 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 I, I won't do that. So I, I remember calling him about 30 minutes before I was going to pick him up. I said, Ben, I'll be there in about 30 minutes. And the way he's talking, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. You know, his tongue thick, he's slurring his words. And I'm like, oh, man, I saw and I was disappointed. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? And I just went, drove over, put the phone down. And, and I just said, well, I'll just go and sort of evaluate. I'll do a personal evaluation as though I'm an expert in alcoholism. And I wasn't. But I'm like, I'll just see if he's at all. You know, he needs to be able to get something out of the service. And he's like total drunk. He's definitely not going to be able to do that. And so I pulled up and I said, Ben, and it was obvious. And Ben, you've been drinking. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. And Ben, I just wanted, but I want you to be able to get something out of it. And he's like, and, and so I started to get back in my car and I'm like, ah, oh. 
you ever been in those kind of tense situations? Like, like I'm thinking, he's not going to get much out of this service. And, but, you know, I, my heart in my heart, I couldn't just drive off. And when I started to move toward my car, he looked at me. And he had, have you ever had somebody look at you with like sad puppy dog eyes? And he sort of looked at me that way. And I'm like, ah. And I know what you're wondering. Did you take him to church? You know, somewhat inebriated. Did you take him to church? And the answer to that is yes. And we sat on the back row because I'm like, if this thing gets out of control, at least I can make a fast exit with Ben. And uh, I don't know because I think he's a little bit more inebriated than what I thought. I don't know that he got a whole lot out of the service. But the point of the matter is this. I hope that he did. But I just look back at that time in my life and my evangelistic fervency was like way here. And I don't think it's at that level. Is, is it there? Yeah. Is it still ratcheted up? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know that it's like it was when I first became a Christian. Does this make sense to anybody here today? Am I by myself? You feel this way too? Open doors. Can I just get this off my chest before we proceed on? I think that in the body of Christ, listen now, I think that in the body of Christ, we have become so hypersensitive about offending non-Christians that we have backed off from eagerly searching for open doors. To be wise, let's be clear about this. To be wise does not mean to be silent. Let me say that again. To be wise does not mean to be silent. Scores of lost people are not coming to church because they hate church, because they don't hate church. A lot of them don't hate church or because they have rejected Jesus. A lot of people like Jesus, but they're not committed to Jesus. It's that nobody's really inviting them. Nobody's really looking for open doors. Nobody's really sharing their faith. Nobody, it seems like, in their sphere of influence has that reckless urgency that Paul is talking about to these believers in Colossae. So now in the remainder of our time, which is a whole lot, about 10 minutes, I want to take what we've been talking about out of Colossians and make it very practical before we're done. Four thoughts. I'll do it quickly from this passage about how do you and I interact with non-believers. All right, some things that maybe you'll jot down. Maybe you'd want to write this down. Number one, our actions matter. Our actions matter. Our actions matter a whole lot. Remember what Paul said? He said, how should we act toward those who are not believers? And he tells us how. You act in your relationship, in your dynamic, in your conversations with the unbelievers. You act with wisdom. And I want to approach this for just a moment in a slightly different angle. It is not wise when relating to unbelievers, and I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. It is not wise when relating to unbelievers to place burdens and expectations on people who who are far from God, burdens and expectations that we actually do not pursue ourselves. Does that make sense to anybody here? It's like, you know what? In order for you to become a good Christian, you need to, you know, almost like the Judaizers. You know, if you Gentiles are coming into the family of God, it's, it's, it's grace, but it's, okay, it's grace, it's Jesus' way, and then here, I'm going to give you my list of what you've got. And a lot of times we give people a list before they ever become a Christian. Let me give you some insight right here. Evangelism always precedes discipleship. You with me on this? But a lot of times we're not using wisdom. We're like, all right, in order to, you know, order to, you know, become a Christian, you got to do this and you got to do this. And, you know, we give them a couple of things that, that they've got to do. And then we give them about 248 things they can't do anymore. Well, I don't know that that's wisdom. I don't think it's wise to blend our lifestyle with their lifestyle. I don't. 
I think there ought to be something, not, not in a sanctimonious kind of way, but I think there ought to be something different about our lives. Are you perfect? No, you're not. And if you're perfect, well, you're way beyond where I'm at because I'm not anywhere close to being perfect. Are you, are you pious? Are you self-righteous? Please don't be that. Please, whatever you do, don't be that. But however, with that stated, there ought to be something about our transformed and redeemed lives that make it appealing to those that are far from God. So that when they look at you where you were, they just say, hey, there's something different about them. I can't completely, you know, I don't have it all figured out yet, but there's something different about their life. They have a peace about them. There's, you know, when a lot of people are just like, you know, just trying to grind through another day, there's a joy. There's something about them. They live with a clear conscience. They, they're not saddled all the time with guilt and shame. They don't feel the way I do. They don't act the way I do. So there ought to be something different. Secondly, all right, so first, our actions matter. Secondly, opportunities need to be seized. Opportunities need to be seized. I'll admit to you that it is not easy to see open doors unless you're looking for open doors. If you're not looking for them, you and I are not going to see them. And Jesus addresses this in John. Jesus said this in John's gospel, chapter 4. He said, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying people are ripe. People are prime. People are prepared. But what they need is a friend. What they need is a confidant. What they need is a messenger in their life. And a couple of thoughts on this second one right here. And it is, and I'll hit it quickly, intentionally build relationships with people that are far from God. And you say, well, I thought once I became a Christian that I couldn't have relationships with people far from any God, uh, far from God. And, and let me just say, you didn't hear that here. And, and you didn't read it in the Bible. Intentionally build relationships with people that are far from God. And then here's another caveat for us. Love them right where they're at. You with me on this? You're a little quiet. Love them right where they're at. Wave at me if you believe that. Love them right where they're at. See them, not as they are, but see them what they can become in Christ. Let me give you something really important. I'll move on to number three because this leads right to number three. But uh, maybe you've never heard it quite this way, but this will stick with you. Unbelievers will not act like believers until they become believers. Unbelievers will not act like believers until they become believers. And a lot of times we look and we just say, um, you know, you've, well, enough already. I, I need to move on. Our words, number three, our words matter. Our words matter. So speak up. Redirect conversations. Verbally share your faith. Like I mentioned a moment ago, when you go to work, don't go silent about your relationship with God. When you're in a family gathering and even, uh, you know, even though you got some people that they're pretty, you know, opinionated toward Christianity and opinionated in a negative sense, don't, don't clam up just because they don't see the way you see. Speak up. Let's return to our passage in Colossians and see what Paul has to say about this. Look at uh, verse 6 now, the very next verse, the A part. He said, let your conversation, I love this, I love this. Let your conversation be always, read this with me full of grace and seasoned with salt. When you're, and he's talking about how the dynamic, the conversing with people that are far from God. He said, when you're talking with them, let your language be full of grace. Let it be seasoned with salt. And I know what some of you are thinking about. Some of you are like, hey, preacher, I've got the salty language down already. I got that base covered. That's not that same kind of saltiness, all right? Just telling you. This is a no-brainer. 
What are people, people that are not Christians, people that are far from God, what are they usually most receptive to? Grace-filled words or judgmental innuendos? And the obvious answer is grace-filled words. And I just have to ask, well, why can't you and I spread some grace around with others since we have been the recipient of such grace, grace in our own lives? Uh, one particular writer says this, part of grace is giving people the space to journey things out. For fallen people like you and me, change comes slowly, and we need to be helped along by loving hands. And you've got to work. Once you, uh, you know, win somebody to Christ, once you share your faith, you look for that open door, somebody crosses the line of faith and become a Christian, then say, you know, by God's grace, I'm going to be, uh, you know, the one that God's going to use to help disciple them. And, and grace is still going to be required. And a lot of times what we do is we come to faith ourselves, and we look back when that happened, and we say, man, you know, I didn't grow looking back. You know, honestly speaking, I didn't grow at the rate that I thought maybe I was growing. It was sort of slow going. But then it's like we lay our expectations on other people, and we're like expecting them from going from a non-Christian to a baby Christian to like a veteran Christian overnight, and it just doesn't work that way. So Paul says, you know, when you communicate, let it, let it be with grace. Let it be seasoned with salt. One theologian has said that word seasoned with salt, this is a theologian who said word seasoned with salt refers to witty, amusing, clever, humorous speech. How many of you know that's all okay? Is, that's okay. Let me give you some insight on this. You do not have to be boring and irrelevant to be effective. Uh, a lot of people standing outside the church looking in the church, you know why? They don't have a problem with Jesus. They just look at some people and just say, that's boring. They look at some people that say they're Christians, it looks like they're sucking on lemons all the time. Like, why do I want that? So be relevant. You don't have to be boring and irrelevant to be effective. Fourthly and lastly, here it is. Always be ready. You don't ever know. Door's going to open. Conversation can be turned. A little space like I had with my friend Gary. We're in this like, all right, now's the time. And I seize that opportunity. Look at this verse. Be ready to give answers. Be ready to give answers to anyone who asks questions. Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. Be ready to answer questions. Non-believers often have questions. If you believe that, wave at me like this. Uh, Unbelievers often have questions, reasonable questions. Questions, by the way, and I wish I had more time to talk about this, but we're about out of time. Questions that deserve a response. And I think, you know, when we're in these conversations, some discernment would be helpful here. Certainly, there are two types of people, generally speaking, in this regard. There are certain people that, you know what? They don't really have legitimate questions. They just love to debate and argue and belittle. Everybody, you ever feel this way? Everybody's got an uncle that think they know everything and they know a Bible a lot more than you, but they're not interested in becoming a Christian. They just want to fight about it. They just want to fight about it. Everybody's got a relative, a cousin, somebody like, or a friend. They just, you know, it's not an open door. They just, you know, they want to talk about the scriptures, not because they're, they're open. This is a whole nother talk. Jesus said at one point in time, he said, be careful. You reach a point where you just start casting pearls, you know, before swine. And, but I think that needs to be balanced out. What Jesus is saying is don't give up on them. You know, be persistent. And I'm glad that I was persistent with dad for about 20 plus years and that, but, but dad wasn't like, you know, it wasn't about belittling and debating. It's, it's looking for that open door. 
Many other people, it's not that they want to debate or argue a little. Many others are just bumping into some obstacles in their thinking, and their obstacles are genuine, and they're open to some help and some feedback. When that door opens, listen, this is for you, this is for me. When that door opens, be ready. Be ready. I pray that door opens for you at work this week. I pray that where you work, I pray that where you go to school, that this week a door opens. And I pray that when that door opens, when there's a conversation that can be turned, when there's an incident in a person's life, when they're talking to you about a struggle that they have or a disappointment that they have or something that they're going in through in their life and their health or their family or their money, that you say, okay, God, here, here is a no. I'm looking. I don't always see it because I'm not always looking, but I'm looking. And God, here's an open door and that you would be ready. And as we wrap up, it just poses this question for you, <clears throat> you and for me. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you well-grounded in your faith? Are you informed and prepared? Not a know-it-all, but informed and prepared. And if not, what do you have to do to get there to where you, not because you know it all, and there's going to be times you're going to be like, oh, wow, that's a big end. I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you on, on that one. But for the most part, you're, you're prepared. And if you're not prepared and you're going to start looking for open doors or if you're like me, you just think you've cooled off a little bit and you're just going to put some heat under that again, what are you going to do to prepare yourself? I think being in church consistently helps because we're talking about things that can help equip you when you're relating to your unsafe family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors. I think getting into the Bible so that you know what the Bible actually says and it's not just somebody else's opinion or somebody's twist on something the Bible says. You know it for yourself. I think reading good, solid books that's going to help you to defend the faith. And if you're saying, hey, I'd like to read some of those books. I don't even know where to go. Just email me. Let me know and we'll recommend some copies. One of the things I've been thinking about doing, I don't know if I'll ever get around to it, is like Pastor Jeff's Book of the Month where we just, a book that has been so transformative for me, just make it available and you read it and just let it speak to you and help you and equip you as well so that when these questions come up, you'll feel ready. Are you ready? And if you're not, what are you going to do? And if you've got a person that has all these legitimate, genuine questions and you're just helping to walk them through it, maybe you'd want to ask them early in the conversation, hey, I care about you a whole lot. Yeah, we're going to work together through these questions. And you've got a lot and I'm glad you do. Don't ever be disturbed by their questions. But if we get your questions answered at that time, once we get your questions answered, are you open? Will you be willing to step over that line of faith to give your life to Jesus? So, would you stand with me? Everybody, we're out of time. Think about the people you're going to see this week. Think about the people you're going to talk to this week. Think about the people you're going to see in the morning at work. And look for open doors among your friends, your coworkers, your family members. Be prayed up, prayed up, prayed up. And then when God opens his door, speak up, speak up. I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is something that I addressed earlier that people are so offended about conversations about Jesus that it just sort of puts you and I sort of in defense mode that we don't even want to bring it up because people are going to be antagonistic about it. Listen, let me help us in this regard. The worst, I mean, we live in like America, right? 
The worst somebody can say is no. It's not like another country where you could be imprisoned or killed or martyred. The worst that somebody could know say is no. So pray up, speak up with grace, with salt. And don't fear their questions. Just prepare yourself. Because maybe you're going to get to this time next month, six months from now next year, and you'll look back and you'll see God has used you in amazing ways because you allowed him to heat you back up, get you ready, and you were looking for open doors and used by God. I hope this helped you today. Father, thank you. We all have people just like that in our life, and we want to make a difference. Lord, it's so easy as Christians who love you and totally devoted to you and ready for heaven to just, to just sort of get quiet on this and silent on this and God, just neutral about it. And, and we don't want to do that, God. I pray in my own life that you'll just heat that up like when I first became a Christian. And I pray that you'll do that for every person here today, that we would look for open doors and walk through them and be used by you to help bring people to your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody said. Man. Love you, everybody.